1: to have faith in god is not a stagnant state it's a journey as a believer we should grow in our knowledge of god and his word walk with alan cutting and many other believers as together we walk
0: the believer's journey
1: aloha and welcome to the believer's journey i want to thank everybody for supporting our ministry for watching our program for uh praying for us And uh, if you like us today, I encourage you to subscribe to our channel, to give us a thumbs up. And if you have questions or comments, you know, please put them on there. I will get back to you if you have a question that I need to. You can always go to our website at www.thebelieversjourney.net. And uh, if you want to email me personally, I'll always answer you at that point. Today is a really kind of a, a neat program. We're on a topic that I like. We're talking to a, a friend of mine, Lisa Jagman, who I've known for 20 years we've figured out. And um, we're going to talk about salvation uh, to abundant life. Mm-hmm. And um, so that will be our topic at the second half of our program. But I want to introduce Lisa. She, um, she's the director of, uh, in San Antonio for uh, a ministry called Reengage. And reengage is a uh, discipleship-based uh, ministry for uh, enriching marriages.
2: Yes, is that, is that right? That's a that's a great way to phrase it. Enrichment, <clears throat> marriage enrichment. So, um, tell us about reengage. Well, reengage is a national program, and um, I'm a church director for reengage in san antonio just to clarify that a little bit there's some wonderful churches here that offer the program as well and they all each church has their own director i get the privilege of doing it for our church the fellowship of san antonio so it's a great privilege but re is for all marriages um whether they're looking to you know just come back from being empty nesters getting to know each other again whether or not they're looking to completely resurrect their marriage um we'll talk about it later but we have couples that come that divorce papers are already on the table Uh, we have counselors send folks to re-engage because we just really feel like they should um, take care of some emotional business maybe that they haven't dealt with but we believe that it's between one man and one woman because of the scriptures And these are marriages that are in any and all conditions. I believe that any marriage would benefit, whether couples are struggling just to get along or the marriage really seems broken or they simply want to grow closer in their relationship. We have couples that come that really think that they don't have issues, they don't have problems. And as they begin to work through the curriculum, they learn a lot about each other and some areas that they may not have ever talked about. Or maybe they do have some significant areas that they want to work on. That they just didn't realize.
1: So there are there are a lot of marriage type organizations. Um, I know we had a we had a a, a gentleman on our program who they deal with marriages um, here in San Antonio, but I noticed they all work differently. There's a lot of them that are like counselor type. Sure. Ministries. Okay. Um, what makes re engage a little different than that?
2: Well, we're not marriage counseling. We are a discipleship based program. Uh, our goal is to disciple individuals, spouses in a marriage towards Christ because we believe as you grow in relationship with Christ, we know that that enriches your marriage. It, um, it covers topics like grace and mercy and forgiveness from a biblical perspective versus uh, tips and tricks on how to stay married <laughs> and be married. May we never be that. But re-engage is not marriage counseling, and our leaders are actually facilitators. They're not counselors. We have had professional counselors that actually became facilitators in re-engage, and, of course, they're, they don't counsel. They facilitate, just like the layperson. Um, it's mostly because we're all growing in our marriage as well. We approach it that way as facilitators. We can all learn from each other. And everyone in the group is on a journey to oneness in marriage. That's the the goal. And we believe that openness and honesty in that small group setting, using biblically-based curriculum, is where God works to grow and resurrect marriages.
1: So I know that... Um... In in a lot of areas now, I know I, you and I have talked about this, um, and on my program I've had uh, we've I've talked about uh, marriages before with uh, a missionary that was on my program, Radu, Kukos. and um, so when you look at marriages, let's say in the United States, okay, I don't know if you have statistics, but at one point you know, divorce was a really high uh, situation and second marriages were, were even almost like 70% divorce rate.
2: Sure. I do not have those ex- exact stats, um, but when I do get stats, what I've learned over the past, oh, let's say five years, is we did have, for Bear County, we did have a dip in the divorce rate. Uh, in the county, which was encouraging, we all kind of did a wonderful uh, praise to the Lord for that a few years ago, and then COVID hit. And uh, I have not, I know that divorce rates went up, but I don't have the statistics for that. But you're, you're right, second marriages do tend to have a higher statistic, second and third marriages, statistics get higher and higher with divorce. And I really think that's because oftentimes people do not deal with what broke up their first marriage before they go into the next marriage and they drag that with them. Or maybe, probably, they haven't gotten got in on the healing of that and really worked on themselves before they pursued another relationship
1: Yeah, it's easy to carry our baggage from one relationship to the next.
2: It really is. I mean, it's almost an automatic. It's interesting because Reengage is a great program for marriage married couples, and we call it our um, defense. But they also have a curriculum for premarital, which is called Merge. And uh, we've Ron and my husband and I have done that a lot, and it's what we call our offense. You know, disciple them before they get married. Mm-hmm. so that they begin to ask the right questions. And it's powerful stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. In fact, I remember when I was younger, um pastor that uh, is my mentor, he wouldn't marry anybody unless he did premarital counseling. That's right. And it, 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 a lot of it may have to do with learning that you need to have a budget and learning just basic lifestyle. Sure. You know?
2: sure. With discipleship, it's primi- primary goal is discipling towards the Lord and getting their relationship with the Lord right.
1: Now, you've mentioned a few times now, one of the, the basic things that you do is discipling. Mm-hmm. So, I know,
2: it's a big it, church it,
1: one, yeah, isn't it? Because, so, well, the thing is, is that I've known that there are several people that think of discipling in different ways. Certainly. So so explain to us, how, what does that mean?
2: Well, I'll just tell you my opinion of it, what I've gathered as a follower of Jesus Uh Discipled means for me growing into go, getting to know my Savior, um, building on that relationship, whether for, it's from a discipline standpoint, an obedience standpoint. But for me, it's always been based on the promises of the Lord. Uh, as I read through the scriptures and found my way through that and grew closer to the Lord, I was actually able to um, know Him better. It's like in marriage, once you meet someone and decide you want to get married, it'd be great if you could go to the library and check out a book and read all about Alan Cutting before you married him, right? But it just doesn't work that way. And getting to know the Lord, although there is the Bible, His great, great Word, there's also a relationship that is um, spiritual, physical, all of those things. And for me, discipleship is just getting to know Him better with... uh, intention, being intentional about growing in that relationship. And so the curriculum for reengage is broken down in those areas from grace. How do you show grace? What is biblical grace? What is biblical forgiveness? Um, mercy, all of the different things that we need to know in marriage, because God feels the same way about your spouse as he does about you. He loves you in this, your spouse in the same way. And I remember a time when I was learning all about, as I was being discipled, uh, learning about my identity in Christ. And it really rang true for me. It changed my whole life. And I had the mentor, a pastor friend, turn to me and say, and we were newly married, he said, you know, the same things that are true about you and Christ are also true about your spouse. And I was, you're right. Oh, my gosh. I was beginning to see him in different eyes. And um, that was part of my discipleship process.
1: (laughs) So do you use a mentoring?
2: Well, the facilitators are there really as the root word to facilitate the conversations. They're also at times gatekeepers. Well, they're always gatekeepers of confidentiality and a safe environment to speak. But they also... Um, they're not there to teach. They're not there to um, give them advice necessarily. There are times when couples will go, no, I want to know what you really think. I, they really hold the facilitator's feet to the fire and say, no, I really want your opinion. And in that case, we ask facilitators to say, all right, in this case, I would do this. Or I would, when my husband and I went through that, we did this and we had a good outcome. In that circumstance, we allow them to really teach or to help in that way. But we always say, be unapologetically biblical. So we encourage our facilitators to provide scriptures when they're discussing things in group, to provide prayer. Prayer oftentimes, well, always seems to kind of diffuse the situation if couples get into um, a hard conversation and maybe get an angry tone. We ask them to stop and pray, um, and we fiercely fight for their privacy, their confidentiality, and to what we call redress them after maybe someone has really spilled uh, themselves and really talked about a hard topic and confessed sin or any of that. We ask our facilitator couples to spend time redressing them and, and building them up and thanking them and... You know, it, it you gotta be brave to be in a small group and really talk about the hard things.
1: I know for me I do so many things wrong. I couldn't say, Well, I would do it this way. <laughs> right. And my own wife would be here, here, you know. Right. <laughs>
2: that's the last that's a last resort.
1: <laughs> yeah. Better really. to say well the scripture says Yes,
2: absolutely. And that is our default. We um we ask our, our facilitator couples to do that.
1: I um I noticed on your website uh, that it says has four areas, um, has that you deal with, which is forgiveness, infidelity, conflict, and communication. Of course, you don't have in laws in here, which I would think there's.
2: <laughs> well, um, I know for premarital, they're in the chapter with expectations, and re engage does have a chapter on expectations, and so we put in laws in there because so often. Those expectations of the in-laws and of you, either as a newly married couple or not a newly married couple, that's usually where the conflict happens. We have unrealistic expectations of our spouses, their families, of marriage because they're unexpressed and they're unvalidated by your spouse or the person that you're expecting things from. So expectations, our facilitators can spend two or three weeks on that chapter alone.
1: So you've mentioned facilitators. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to assume the way you work is you must maybe get in a table with uh, couples around a table with a, pers- a couple do. who are facilitators.
2: We do. And I'll, let me explain kind of the whole evening, if you will. And yeah. it's always open. Our program's open. We're kicking off July 12th. We'll be meeting on Wednesday evenings. And when you arrive, it is a large group setting, meaning it's everyone in the same area. We have a few minutes of worship, which is really a great relief to just shake off what you're bringing in with you on a Wednesday evening, perhaps after work or school or something, and just get present with the Lord. Um, Then we have a very important part of the evening is either a testimony from a couple that has been through reengage, has seen miraculous things happen, who, you know, have enriched their marriage in some way. And they give testimonies. These testimonies are life-changing. Uh, you have couples identifying with them in the in the audience, if you will, identifying, they, they for the first time hear things they never thought they would hear, that they thought they were the only ones that went through that. And they're able to identify with these testimonies. They're about 15, 20 minutes, and they are pivotal to the experience, the full re-engage experience. And once they do that, then we break up into small groups. And the first time you come, you'll be in a newcomer's group with everybody else. It's their first night. And at that point, you don't have to talk if you don't want to. Um, You won't be pointed at and say, hey, tell me all about your life, your marriage. That's not going to happen. That wouldn't be appropriate. But there you learn about the program. You really learn about the intent of the program and how long it's going to go on. Um, You learn about the do's and don'ts, so to speak, and the expectations of it.
1: So is it like going through a course? You would have a booklet or something? Eventually,
2: you'll get to that point where you will have the curriculum. um, After you go to newcomers, the very next week, you go to what we call open group. And there is a lesson in every open group. This is the point where you do start working on your marriage. Week two. Week one is more of an uh, um, informational night. Week two, you do an open group lesson. you're with other couples. Um, and there again, you do not talk unless you're comfortable in doing that. Um, you begin to learn from others, listen to others, express yourself. You can be in open group for weeks until you make a decision to go into what is called what we call a closed group. And a closed group is actually where you get the curriculum, the same couples meet in that closed group, and you go through the curriculum. And that becomes what we call these little small families. We've seen them year after year meet and continue to meet well beyond reengage.
1: How long does uh, the course, if you will, last?
2: Ah, this, that question often can scare people away. So uh, I will tell you it can last, you know, 20, 22 weeks um, to get the most out of it but I will tell you now that couples do not like it when it ends (laughs) you know they're like 20 weeks my goodness but when it ends they're like no we're not ending we're going to continue to meet they they really become close and that's strategic on my end as director I get the privilege of putting people in these close groups with a facilitator couple and they stick with them through those 14 lessons that are in the curriculum um, after they've spent time in open group preparing themselves and, and their time learning how to be in this closed group, if you will.
1: Okay. So obviously, if you're in a group setting and mm-hmm. you've joined and you're in the curriculum and mm-hmm. you've got these other couples there mm-hmm. and you're there for X amount of weeks or a couple of years.
2: Right. <laughs> I wish.
1: <laughs> um. A lot of things are going to be said, sure. private things. Sure. So I know, like for something that I've always had it, and when I teach a class, the things that are said in my class are not to be said outside the class. Do you have that kind of a policy?
2: Oh, we do because it's biblical all over. The I mean, um, we protect their confidentiality. They actually um, sign an agreement that they will keep things within the group. Our facilitators are great protectors of that. Um, We ask that they do not speak about anything they hear in that group, outside of that group. Um, I've always said, like I lead a women's Bible study, and we're pretty casual, but we do say, look, if you want to tell someone's story, ask them. If you want to go home and tell somebody your story, a story that you heard in group, ask them. They'll tell you, no, you can't talk about that story. Or sure, yeah, if if that will be helpful to a coworker, please do. But we fiercely protect the confidentiality in these groups. And we want you to share when you're ready. And that's what that open group process is for, to learn and feel safe and, and to grow in a way that you feel comfortable talking in a closed group environment. So you can stay in open group as long as you like while you get used to that small group format. Oh, okay. You can stay in as long as you like.
1: So you don't have to go anywhere, grow your marriage, just stay in the group without doing anything.
2: The cool thing is most people... Immediately start asking for a closed group because they get it very quickly. That small group. You've got guys opening up, husbands opening up that their wives never thought would, wives beginning to speak their truth that um, their husbands never heard. And it happens in that small group because they're with other people that they can identify with. They're with a facilitator couple that asks the right questions. Doesn't counsel them or tell them what to do, but they ask the right questions to evoke these responses and, and these aha moments, if you will. And of course, the Lord is always there; the Spirit is present to to just really fill that fill that room. It's beautiful.
1: So you mentioned that it's a, a national organization, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this doesn't mean that everybody around the country is on the same exact page. Correct. Okay, like they do that. BFF or
2: whatever. Yeah, the BSF Bible Study Fellowship, they do work on a, um, you know, they're going to do a book of the Bible. Everyone does it. This is a very grassroots written program out of Watermark Church in, in Dallas. And they are... They don't really necessarily tell you how to run it. They just have parameters because they have the recipe for a successful program. So although we do that, we can be semester-based where you run like September to January or December. um, Or you can run it year-round where you always welcome in new couples. And that's the format we're going to start with. Um, It's usually a larger church that um, a church bigger than ours that does the year-round. Well, we decided to do it because we just don't want to turn away any couples. Um, they can stay in open until a closed group opens up. But our goal um, by kicking off in July will be to welcome couples every week from now on. We take a short break over the holiday, but that's about it.
1: So you keep saying you're doing a kickoff. I noticed that when we was in church you had a flyer. <laughs> It says something about a uh, summer dance or yeah. something. What what is all this?
2: Well, if anybody knows me, and a lot of people do, they know I like to throw parties and plan parties. And um, there's not a lot of places. My husband and I realized very quickly that there's not a lot of places for us to go dance and just enjoy great music without smoking, drinking. Um, a lot. Of, it, I don't. Hate, I hate to be biased, but just not a real necessarily a safe environment um so we (laughs) we now have a disco ball in our front room (laughs) a turntable (laughs) some little lights um our front room is all hard floors (laughs) we have about 300 vinyl records and a a great record player we're old school all the way and that is our dance floor um and it's that's our idea of romance so silly (laughs) us but hey um i hope you guys have a Everyone has a great idea of romance. That's ours. And I love a good party. So this comes from previous church working in ministry. Every time I would throw a dinner and dance, it was a big success. And whether they were married or single, they came and had a great time. We did a theme a few years called Dance a Decade. Uh, Dance your decade, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. So we're kind of bringing that into this kickoff event for the Fellowship of San Antonio. We're kicking off our marriage ministry. And um, it happens June. I'm sorry, June. 16th. It's a Friday night. We do have a wonderful dinner and dance where we're going to dance the decades. When you register for that, you're actually able to request your favorite songs, your favorite decade, your favorite genre of music, but it's for married couples only. And for that, I think that's really special. You know, Like-minded people um, coming together and having a little fun, a little clean fun. <laughs> There's
1: actually a uh, uh... It's a place in Rolling Oaks Mall called Artists' Night Out. Artists' Night Out. Mm-hmm. Night Out. And I don't know if they have it every Saturday, but every Saturday night or what, but they would have Christian music and dancing.
2: Oh how nice!
1: Yes, it was like a Christian nightclub, and I like yeah. no no drinking. It's just really, and they have yeah. a sermon in before it all starts. And, it's wonderful. And so you got to remember that in case you ever
2: artist night. Out. I have artist to look night that
1: out, up. Rolling Oaks Mall.
2: That's fantastic.
1: I had her on my program. Her name is uh, Brenda. Brenda. And uh, she's an artist, and oh, she actually my. goes to churches and she does live painting and all oh, that kind that. of stuff. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of interesting.
2: That is. Yeah, we're excited about it. Um, you can register online, and um, I believe we have our website up on. On your website as well, where you can register for that and come to Your decade. I mean, we have so many requests for everything from Elvis to George Strait to The Beatles. Oh, absolutely! Put The Beatles on there. Um, <laughs> I, many, many of you may know our Christian DJ Keith Garrett. He's a DJ for the for the churches, and he's going to be spinning those records and um, putting in your you can put in your requests. So we'll have a lot of fun.
1: So I have I have a few questions. Um, your, your website give stuff and it doesn't give stuff right. so, so I have questions because um, I know that that it's it can be a touchy and, and a if you don't have the answers sometimes we don't you don't inqu- you inquire so you mm-hmm. kind of just look at it and walk away
2: yeah
1: and so um, so if you're if your couple and you have a marriage that's not doing well, mm. most likely people would think this is where you would want to go, correct? Sure, sure. So what if you don't even talk to each other? What if you like sleep in the other room?
2: Which, which we've seen many couples that don't even, no longer live together. Um, they do not cohabitate, that come. We also have people that come alone, and they don't bring their spouse. Their spouse isn't ready, and that's okay. In both of those situations, we want you to come. We want you to experience what God has in that moment. We've put a lot of time and training into the people that will be taking care of you. And we really want you to come see what it's all about. Again, we're working on ourselves in any of these programs. We, we can't change the other person, right? That's often how people get in problems in their marriage. They think they can change their spouse. Yeah. We can't. And so the only person we can work on is ourselves. So often you'll see facilitators of closed groups, once they've gotten to know their couples, bring in hula hoops. And they'll put it in there and they'll say, okay, go stand in the circle and talk about everything in that, in that hula hoop. It's really cute. But, the, um, but it's serious as well. They want people to work on themselves and... As far as the single spouse coming without their mate, uh, we welcome them with open arms. We really want them to come and feel cared for and loved on and experience God's love through people and know that they're in a safe place to to work on themselves and to talk about issues. I've also seen it where, you know, we begin praying for their spouse to come because that's what they really want. That's why they're there and um we've seen these people' spouses come in the door and it's just we're over there doing a secret victory dance and the spouse doesn't have a clue that we've been uh, we're celebrating for them but it happens because of the change in their significance so you
1: you also would agree then or say that this is a place where somebody who needs hope mm. is a place mm. where they can find hope
2: it's perfect hope is Hope is the word. (laughs) Hope is exactly what we hope they find or pray they find, for that matter. Um, We're going to do our very best to create that environment. And um, people need to know they're prayed for for months now before they come.
1: What about the couple whose marriage seems to be doing good or they are Mm -hmm. doing good?
2: We have a lot of couples like that. And they are doing well. All of our facilitator couples right now that we're launching with, they've been in training since October, by the way. Shout out to those amazing people. Um, But they, all of them, came into leader training and the curriculum with relatively good marriages. And again, like I said earlier, they didn't know what they didn't know until they went through the curriculum, focused on um, different issues in their marriage. Uh, As a matter of fact... One of our leaders um, realized that they treated their spouse like they treated their father, just because of you know they had their relationship with their father, and they didn't realize that, and they'd been married they've been married over forty years, and so and then this passage, yeah, that kind of bothered me, <laughs> but and they learned that as they went through things. I think it's very special, um, and they find their marriage enriched, and they're also challenged or told basically. You have While you're leading, you have to protect your marriage because I believe the enemy is out for them. They're doing things to help others grow and strengthen their marriage. So what better way to come between them yeah. as facilitators? So we're, we take it from a perspective as we're all growing in marriage and our marriages, whether we're facilitating a conversation or directing the program. And we've heard from leaders that have been doing this quite a while that every time they lead a group through the curriculum they learn something new and grow something grow in some way differently.
1: It's interesting. I was a stepchild
2: mm-hmm.
1: from both parents um and I became a stepfather so you you that whole world of step parenting <laughs> and stepchild is very interesting. Uh, my best friends, my childhood best friends, we actually met in a baseball uh, game. They were on the opposite team, and their mom, their father left, and my father had left. And so we all became really close, and they're still my close friends now. And as you grow up, and you look at this, and you see, I learned a lot mm-hmm. scripturally, like, for example, I believe that um, you know when you marry somebody, you become one with them. But a lot of second and third marriages, when they have children, it's like they get married, but it's like don't mess with my kids; these are mine, not yours. I'll discipline them, not you. And it's like, well, that's so unbiblical,
2: right? Yeah, And exactly. it's,
1: it's like, well, you know, I'm not going to follow you because you're not really my dad. But, right. However, Jesus followed Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: You know, sure. And Jesus asked his disciples to leave their families to follow him. I mean, mm-hmm. there was that um, blended result even even through biblical times. But I will tell you, as we talked about it, um, blended families are the fastest growing, probably the biggest demographic in the church right now. The blended families, they are trying to do it right. They are trying to... Get this right, as I've often heard them say, and you're right. The reason why discipleship is so important, because the things you learn about Christ for yourself, for any relationship, apply to second and third marriages and to apply to the children that you get. They are a blessing, whether they're bonus children, as I've heard them called, or stepchildren. Either way, we're taught in the Word how to take care of children.
1: Even, even today, now my, my father, uh, we were building a house a few years ago and he fell and he died on the job. Hmm. So my stepmother lives in Las Vegas and I still feel like it's important to honor my dad. Sure. By honoring my stepmother. That's,
2: that's wonderful. And I think it's biblical. It's one of the top ten, isn't it? Well, Honor your mother and father. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, now the roles of mothers and fathers have, have really changed. I mean, I guess they always have when you look at daughters-in-law. is where we study the daughters-in-law of the scriptures. But um, a mother and father figure in, in people's lives are, is forever. And they can be an aunt. They can be a step-parent. They can be a neighbor. They can be anyone that comes alongside a child and treats them in a way that honors Christ.
1: So two things here. You mentioned that um, one thing is that you have married groups. So the groups we're talking about are for married couples only, correct? Correct. Because you also mentioned there is a group that are like your ones that are going together but not quite married, right. that are engaged or whatever. So you have actually two different We groups. do. Okay.
2: We do. We're emphasizing uh, re-engage right now because we're just doing a giant kickoff. And it is a, a much bigger um, unit to kick off reengage. It involves worship. It involves testimony. So there's a lot of moving parts. It has to be done as a separate unit. unit. But premarital classes are from this same church. It's called Merge. It's it's got a beautiful logo. It's got two arrows coming together, and where it blends over the top, where it becomes an arrow at the top, it changes color. Speaking of oneness, it's a visual example of oneness, um, which Christ calls us to in marriage. And It is also a discipleship-based curriculum. The difference in it, in Reengage, is you're not married yet. So you're able to make you're able to make the decision to walk away. And do we have cur- couples that break up after going through or during merge? Absolutely, they begin seeing things that they never saw before. Uh, maybe they're not engaged yet, and they make the decision to not get engaged. But most of the time, they make a decision to get engaged. It's all about what should we take the next step to go from seriously dating to engaged, to go from engaged to setting a marriage date, a wedding date. And this curriculum facilitates um, the questions that we should be asking, the the things that we never think about answering because. We're dating under the influence. We're, we have DUIs. We have this chemical reaction, you know, for that first year or 10 months to a year. There's literally a chemical reaction that causes us to date under the influence. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Well, I stole it from a video that we show in Merge. But dating so, under the influence, yes.
1: Okay. Well, a um, couple more questions. Mm-hmm. And know we want to get on to our topic. Okay. So, um, You mentioned this is nationwide. Mm -hmm. So how many, do you have more language, the the curriculum, more languages other than just English?
2: We do currently have it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Um, We, at the church that I helped direct this with, um, we had several Spanish groups before. And I know it's already being published in Spanish, but I don't know about other languages. Knowing you know the relationship I've built with the directors and the pastors at Watermark, I really feel like they would be open to rewriting this in different languages, especially if they had the assistance, the support. They are just amazing. They um, are willing to give away all of this leadership material and um, support you in ways that you can't imagine getting your programs kicked off. They're willing to do that for nothing. I mean, they, we don't pay a fee to be a part of Re-Engage, even though they authored the curriculum. And so I, they're such neat people, um, and they're willing to work and talk about anything, I'm sure.
1: What about other countries?
2: All I know about is Mexico. I know that they are in Mexico, of course, Canada. Um, beyond that, I don't know.
1: So if you have another country such as Moldova. Yes.
2: Well, I think we call uh, Robert Green or, or uh, John McGee at Watermark and find out how quickly we can get that done. You know, translating from just an experience with another pastor friend of mine, translating a curriculum such as this or even his six week curriculum takes years because you do want to put it in their cultural language in their anecdotes, the emphasis they have on different words and oftentimes there's not words as we talked mm. about for something that may be written in English so it has to be rethought so it would take a while but it's definitely doable.
1: Yeah because I know when I work in Moldova that's that is a main mm. main situation that that is you know in families and marriages and so forth.
2: Well, and it is everywhere. I think, especially in America, as we, um, have made it so easy to get divorced, to put our marriages on the back burner because of busyness. Um, we need Jesus. We need him now as much as ever in our relationships.
1: And and I think also in the last 20 years or 25 years or so, it seems like more and more couples are just moving in together rather than marrying.
2: Yeah, that is something that has really taken a turn since I've been in marriage ministry. And um, it has has gone so much. I mean, I I can't tell you. When I first started doing merge for premarital, I would say a good 40% of the couples were living together, cohabitating. And it was kind of like wow, what do we do with these? You know, we're we're church. What do we do? And so we had to make some decisions about it. And of course we accepted them on those. Did we ask them to sign the same purity covenant and consider not living together? Sure, we can make the ask. But as time went on and it became 60, 70% of the couples, seven out of 10 couples were cohabitating. And it became a little bit, harder to make that ask we continue to do it because again we're unapologetically biblical when it comes to these standards we want to give the very best god's best to them information wise and so now we that ron and i have been mentoring couples at our new church the fellowship now for almost three years and i would say all but one couple that we've mentored are cohabitating So we've rewritten the purity covenant, not rewritten it in its biblical intent. But we've changed it more to be an integrity, a sexual integrity agreement between them and the Lord. Can you maintain sexual integrity from this point on? And here's why. Here's what the Bible says about uh, purity and maintaining sexual integrity. And once you know, you can do. But know better, you do better, right? And so we ask them from this point on, can you commit to these things until you're married? And then there are some things you commit to even after your marriage, like how you handle social media, how you handle um, relationships with the opposite sex. These are things we all cover in premarital counseling so that they get what God has for them, or at least they have the knowledge to take with them.
1: Good. Good. Well, that's a, I really am impressed with this program. I am too. And what I heard uh, for everyone who is interested in this, uh, go to my website and under guests you will see uh, a phone number, you will see an email, you will see a website where you can look at this locally here in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And if you on the uh reengage logo, if you click on there, you'll actually go to the reengage uh website, the Right, the national
2: website. It's got a church locator. So if you wanted something in another area, um, we found found one on an island off Florida, in Florida, an island that was out yesterday for one of our leaders – family members that needed a re-engage and we found one it was wow. great it's got a great church locator and it also has a newcomer's video which i encourage everyone to read if or, or listen to and watch the video is incredible and it's just testimonies from couples of all ages and stages that have gone through re-engage and seen the mighty work of god through it yeah,
1: there's a lot of testimonies on there mm-hmm. there great,
2: are powerful testimonies easy. and it's not just for new believers. i mean for believers. What we have are people coming in there from all walks of life, all faith, non-believers. They're there to work on their relationship, and they're there for the right reasons. Yeah. We just want to give them the way, <laughs> help them with the way. Okay, well, let's talk about abundant sure.
1: living, abundant sure. life. Uh, we all know the the famous verse that Jesus said in John ten ten: "The thief mm-hmm. comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy." That's right. And he goes on, he says, but I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. However, before we go on in our discussion, there are other verses that I think are just as powerful. For example, David in Psalm 16, I believe it is 11. He says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right Mm -hmm. hand are the pleasures forever. Amazing. Job, <laughs> believe it or wow. not, Job said in ten twelve. he says, you have granted me life and loving kindness and your care has preserved my spirit. <sighs> you know, when I was a, a one of the things as a teenager, when I started to go to a church and I thought, well, this is really boring. I don't want to do this. They don't let you dance. They don't let you do anything. Can't go to the movies. This is a boring life. And why would I want to be a Christian? You know, before I got scared to death about burning forever, you know, it was all about, you know, I couldn't have fun in life. And people that know me, I'm all about having fun. You know, I still tease my wife relentlessly at home and
2: you only get hit a few times a week.
1: I only beat her like on Tuesday nights. No,
2: you can't say that. <laughs> That's one of those.
1: But but we you know it's it's amazing how I was teaching I teach okay so I teach a class and I was teaching on salvation uh, on this one particular a few months ago and I said a lot of people think of salvation as. I am saved from sin, mm. and they leave it there, mm-hmm. saved from sin. And I'm like, however, they don't. It's like, oh boy, how fun! Yeah, how how, how fulfilling is mm-hmm. that? And I told her, I said, you know what though? We're really saved unto life. Mm. Talk about
0: this.
2: Well, for me, it's a very personal experience, um, and it came from uh, the same mentor that taught me about my husband's just as important as I am to the Lord. And um, he said, you know, there is a difference. In the cross, there's a life side and there's a sin side. And that really resonated with me because I understand the sin side from the moment that I was saved. That's why I was saved. God compelled me or convicted me of my sinful ways. I was a 15-year-old teenager. And um, I was your typical 15-year-old teenager in 1980. And I rebelled against everything. It was... It was in the music, even. And so uh, as I was compelled to walk down that aisle, unctioned right up front to there and to be saved, I knew that my sins were forgiven. I experienced that transformation of on the sin side of the cross. But because that's kind of where I stopped growing, for the next 10 years, I did not experience this abundant life that these scriptures talk about, this joy-filled life, because I go back to that word. I wasn't discipled. And um, I was put in a position of leadership probably a month after I was saved because I'm not shy. I don't mind talking to people. And I would talk to other people in my age group. And so they made me the leader of a group, but yet I had not been discipled. And um, I kind of went with it. So to go back and say, hey, I don't know what the scriptures are talking about, John ten ten, when, yeah, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'm forgiven— I never made that transference to the life side of the cross uh, where the promises of Christ are, where the abundant living here on earth while we're here versus waiting until we're in heaven. There's, people need to make that transformation. That only comes through getting to know God on a relationship basis, getting, getting to know his character. He is love. And with your salvation came the fullness of the Godhead to live in you, came the Holy Spirit to live in you. Same power that raised Christ from the dead, that parted the Red Sea, now resides in us as believers. So we have the fruit of the Spirit. We have all that available to us. Now let's start living in that abundance. Sounds easy enough, but it's not.
1: <laughs> well, and I, I don't think it's hard though. I mean, I've, I guess in my life, I've got irritated by these pastors I'm gonna be hit by this one
2: that's all right we all have our things
1: <laughs> yeah I get I get written into it all the time when I say these I get irritated with these pastors that say oh you know living as a Christian is really difficult it mm-hmm. is really hard it's all a mystery it's I'm like that's a bunch of crap. It's not even true. Jesus says, I came, I came to give you life and more Ooh. abundant life. Not only that, he says, "I came I, to come to me, I'll give you rest. Mm. And I, my yoke is easy. My burden mm, is light. Right. And it, that doesn't sound bring, like it's supposed to be hard it, to me. Bring us your weary. Bring, yeah. We just need to learn what it is. It's, it's you know, I didn't come to be, be a Christian because I was convicted of sin. I came because I didn't want to burn in hell forever. That was, that was like, you know. Hey, it. we
2: don't care how we get you.
1: That was it. And so I, <laughs> but I learned yeah. you know, as I grew, I learned it just took me a while longer. Sure. And the conviction of stuff came as I kept doing things wrong. Right. <laughs> like I said, I'm not too wise. Well, that didn't
2: work out. <laughs> yeah, I'm a results-oriented girl as well. So I do what works most of the time. I, I like the easy out. I like, hey, the Lord says do it this way and it works. And most recently, my biggest lesson in that was when I learned about what real submission to your spouse was. I was 42 when I got married and um, that, it was a miracle that I did it at 42. It was a great thing. God gave me the perfect gift that I didn't even know I wanted, by the way. And um, I learned very quickly what true submission gets you as a woman. And that's a dirty word to most women nowadays. You talked about single parents. When they get reengaged, a lot of times when we go through merge, they'll talk about, wait a minute, I have to submit to my husband. I've paid for these children. I'm in control of these children. There's no way I'm going to submit to him as the authority in our family because I've done this for 20 years I've raised these children. And submission can be so distorted. And as I learned my nature and saw how rebellion did not work it doesn't work in any relationship most of all your marriage um but to submit to an uh, to submit to my husband i got the best results i saw that biblical submission didn't mean getting walked on get, didn't mean getting put to the side but allowing him to be him and him to make mistakes and him to um be himself and that's grace mm-hmm.
1: you know it's interesting you brought up the the fruit of the spirit mm. okay so I teach that the fruit of the spirit are the very characteristics of God absolutely okay and as a believer I teach that the very foundational uh, core issue of what a believer is is someone to become like Jesus okay and well and in all of this how I teach this is that we need to seek Jesus and God tells us that he's holy and he wants us to be holy Mm. he tells us this in the Old Testament he tells us in the New Testament Uh, God says he's the same yesterday today and forever and so forth. So I I look at this in in a really interesting way. So when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, I look at, well, this is God. That is. And we were probably created with all of these, all the fruit of the Spirit as Adam was created. Okay. However, I believe that we, it got kind of screwed up at the fall and it's now it's perverted and it's corrupted and we need to somehow that's why Jesus has come and Mm -hmm. we have the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to help us with that to become like Jesus that is our strength our power our guidance our truth so in all of this um, there's a scripture um, actually before the scripture I wrote something I saw and I kind of Mm -hmm. tweaked it And it says this, life in the spirit means that you have a new life in Jesus and the spirit of God lives within you. That's right. Second thing, there are two kinds of believers. (laughs) Just two? Oh, yeah, two. Those who are living in the flesh (laughs) and those who are living in the spirit.
2: Yeah, there's not a middle line, is there?
1: No, there really (laughs) isn't. And, all, and I don't believe in you're a good Christian or you're a bad Christian. No. I, I think that's such a bad thing.
2: No, we're, we're all either, bad at this. We're <laughs> either immature
1: or we're mature or we're maturing.
2: We're somewhere in the process. Yes, Till exactly. the day we die. Exactly.
1: And then, uh, the third thing here is all of us are either one or the other. And the enemy of abundant life is the flesh.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I believe, you know, we're separated in that. that I believe that. Paul talks about it that we are separated. Our our flesh is in our soul, where our will, our thoughts, our our minds, our emotions, our feelings—they're all in our soul. And we have a human spirit that lives within us. That that's what's united with Christ. That's where the Holy Spirit dwells in us and brings us, if you will, another pa- I'll steal from another pastor again, the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit. Right? That that are implanted in us. That's where the power is there. And our job is to relent to it, to mm, abide with it, to take the lid off the bottle and let it live in and through us. And that's what changes our flesh. That's what changes our soul. But we have to be cognizant of what we're putting our mind to, what we're putting our hands to, our money towards, all those things play into living an abundant life there are choices that we make we have to make them we're here Mm -hmm. on earth we have to make these choices and the more we grow in our biblical worldview the better choices we make are the ones that get us to abundant living in christ
1: yeah and you know it's interesting i I get these questions in my class
2: it's great
1: it's great, the, right? The, funny, the funniest thing is the way that I teach. I teach it as a discussion type. Mm-hmm. I have a lesson, and in, inevitably, I'm looking at well, this lesson should last me, you know, two weeks, but there goes two months. Yeah, yeah. Because... Those are the best. <laughs> and it's like, and so I, I, uh, I get these questions and. One of the things I'm starting to realize more and more and more and more, and I'm starting to, I told my class, kind of, I start teaching about this more and more is about holiness. Mm. In Hebrews twelve fourteen, it says, make every effort to live in peace and with everyone and to be holy. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord.
2: Right. And I like that it says, and be holy. So that means scripture telling us we are holy. We are holy, but we are in production. <laughs> in we are always have the proclivity to slip out of being holy. But in our identity, in our identity, in Christ, we are holy.
1: I, I think one of the problems we have in Christendom is that holiness is taught like we can do things hol- that are holy rather than be holy. Right. And I really believe that. Holiness is within the characteristics that God is and how it says that God made us in his image. And I believe that's his own moral image within holiness. Amen. And so when we say that, I think we can say we are holy, not that we act holy. Right. We act in righteousness. We're holy in identity. We are Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what God created within us. And we can say, I am holy by who I am because of the very characteristics that are being mended by the Holy oh, that's Spirit. That's good.
2: That's very good. Absolutely. And we forget, and I'm sure you've heard this a million times, that we are human beings. We're often most of the time we're human doings. What more can we do mm-hmm. to feel a certain way or to reach a certain level? And that's just not what God is asking us. The big, one of the biggest words that were, I'm actually teaching a women's Bible study on now: what does it mean to abide in Christ? There's nothing about doing anything. And to new Christians or Christians that may not have been discipled a lot in this life, they they feel like, okay, give me a checklist. What do I need to do to reach these levels? And the Lord says, you are complete. You are complete right now. You're mine. You are complete. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that moment of abiding, resting, waiting for the author of life to to, uh, give you something to do, inspire you, give you a revelation that you can take and and put into place and do God's work. I, I go back to the old experiencing God. Um, curriculum find out where God's working and do that yeah and we had a pastor tell us go back to the last thing God tells you to do and do that until he tells you to do something else is you know it's not about doing it's about abiding and being with present in the Lord we miss out on so much
1: yeah and I think sometimes I wonder how many people actually struggle because they don't have an assurance mm. that they're saved, assurance mm. search of salvation. I've had many students come to me and will say, how do I know I'm saved? Because, mm. you know, I said the sinner's prayer, but I do these things I know that are not biblical or not mm. right or not good. And so, oh, I'm so glad forth.
2: they're asking those questions.
1: And then I, I get so many people that well, that are confused or they're hurting or so forth. And they're not living the abundant life right. because they're, they're frustrated at the very core which is a salvation, and i have I have four things I want to mention okay uh, and I talk about what assurance of salvation is I, I what it means to the believer, okay so number one it it'll stabilize your Christian mm-hmm. experience uh, having having an assurance that you're saved, and I think that all this plays into the abundant life absolutely okay second thing was it'll enable you to enjoy a positive prayer life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't Go have in to in
2: confidence to the Lord. Exactly. Yes. We don't have
1: to just sit there. God, help me. God, save yes. me. God, protect yes. me. God, bless my yes. food. I mean, we're over. I mean, right. And that's it. We are. We need to have that positive. God, you know, you are wonderful. You're great. You are holy. Thank you for all you are. You know, I mean, we need to have that. Just
2: abide in that. Just be present in that. Yeah. That's enough.
1: Three. It will give you power over Satan mm-hmm. and your Santa. flesh. The enemies of your soul. That's
2: right. That's right.
1: So many people either want to blame all the problems, blame everything on Satan, yeah. and not realize more and more and more the Bible talks about the problems and the f- struggle we have are within our own flesh. Absolutely. Our own selfishness. I mean our desires.
2: I mean Yeah. Paul desires. talked
1: about it. Apostle Proverbs, John talked amen. about it. I mean it's all over about our own stuff. And we need to
2: that's why we argue. That's why we fight. It's our own selfish desires, according to Proverbs. It's our own selfish we want. We kill because of our own selfish desires. And it's true. It is I, true. I
1: fight with my wife because she doesn't give me candy when That's I true. want
2: it. <laughs> no, <laughs> on the candy. Yeah, I fight with my husband because I want my way. I do. I don't always, I'm not always aware of it. Um, But I've given him permission to speak into it. So what's the main goal here? For you to get what you want? Yeah. Okay. Well, then now that we've got that settled, let's negotiate. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. Abundant life is an experience that is um, one of knowing who you are in Christ, knowing Christ's character, and being sure that you can trust that. And only time spent with God can affirm that and build that, I think of it as a muscle, that God muscle. Yeah. That assurance comes from your, that confidence in Christ is not a cockiness. It's not an arrogance. It is knowing and believing the truth of God.
1: Yeah, exactly. The fourth thing I have here, that assur- assurance of your of your salvation will bring, it actually will bless you um, with a full life filled with joy. mm You know, and and I think too many people want to interchange the word or the term or the idea of joy with happiness. Right. And that's totally not it. You know, I want happiness. I seek happiness. And and it's not what you want to do. Well, coming
2: from the marriage ministry, happiness is thrown all over. She just doesn't make me happy anymore. He just doesn't do the things that I like to do that make me happy. Whatever God, it may God be, it's wants not to be about happiness.
1: So it's okay to
2: divorce. Like, That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm supposed to be happy, right? I'm older in life now. I need to be happy. Yeah. But it's really funny when we did a wordle. Um, we asked leaders about what their number one most treasured thing about marriage is, and then the mo- the word with the most votes got the biggest part of this wordle. There are words all over it. Um, happiness wasn't even on there. The biggest thing that people got out of marriage after years being married, the biggest word on that order was companionship. And I think of the Lord that way. He is our companion. He's our leader. <laughs> um but he is also our our companion. He is our comforter. He's all of those things to us. And in marriage the goal is oneness. And the goal eventually is marriage is not for our benefit. It's for his holiness. Yeah. And we often go into it to make each ourselves happy.
1: Well, I know a lot of people who are are very fulfilled in life and they're not rich, you know, <laughs> but, but they're very fulfilled and they have a lot of joy. Yeah. I, I, I want to say this one thing and we probably need to go um I was told this by my pastor when I was seventeen, sixteen. Um, he wrote this in a Bible he said, Remain faithful to God and he will bless your life. and I have always remembered that
2: It's wonderful
1: I teach that I've, I've talked with girls who don't haven't been able to date in high school and know and oh, I'm going to be an old maid <laughs> I just no you know if you remain faithful to him, he will bless you Absolutely. And I think that's true no matter what. If we want a really if we want a real fulfilled and abundant life, we need to remember stuff like that. We certainly need to remember that we need to be faithful to him. God blesses those who are faithful to him. And I think that's a big, huge thing. It and is. life is a, is can be full, and Jesus came to give us a full life here right now and on, not right. just we have to wait for it when we're there. And I just think that <laughs> We've missed the boat by teaching it.
2: I do, too. Maybe that's why he says, write it on your heart. Mm. Write my word on your heart.
1: Yeah. Good discussion.
2: Great. I enjoyed it very much.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us today. And uh, everyone, you will have a wonderful day. You'll have a wonderful week. And we'll see you again in the the islands of Hawaii. Mm. Aloha